Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are here with you yet again with another episode as we are in quarantine week. Is this week two, three, 12? I honestly can't keep track anymore. Uh, all the days just kind of blend together. I think it's Sunday. Yes, it is. We are recording this on Sunday, March 29th, 2020 at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, my name is Terry Plucknett. As always, I am joined by uh, Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. And before I throw to you guys, you know, usually this is the time of the of the podcast that we give a little bit of sports banter and talk a little bit about what's going on. But there's no sports right now. So um, what we did this week to just kind of prepare for our sports banter is all the networks are so used to having sports on right now. They've been playing a lot of classic sports. So we each watched at least one thing and uh, are going to talk about it as a, as a classic sports uh, moment that has been on TV in the last week. So Todd, I'm going to you first. Uh, what, what classic sports did you watch? Uh, so I caught a stream of the 1988 World Series of Poker Final Table, which yeah. is, of course, immortalized by rounders. Oh, okay. I, I gotta say, it was pretty awesome. Like, there is a $700,000 first prize, which is crazy because last year it was uh, $10 million. So that's as, as far as, that's a massive increase. But the final five were TJ Cloutier, who was a former, like, CFL player and, like, six-time bracelet winner. There was this guy from Tacoma in there, and then there was Humberto Brennis, who was, like, the first foreign final table at the main event uh, guy. Uh, and then Eric Seidel, of course, and Johnny oh. Chan. And uh, it was awesome because Seidel, I think he was the best player at the table. He was only 29 years old. They said he was the youngest player in the field, which now it's like everybody is under 25. Like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous to think that like a 29-year-old was the youngest one. They kept calling him like the, um, the, the unknown youngster and stuff like that. And he was getting no respect because like, uh, they had the tournament official on there, and he had like 50% of the chips with, uh, when there was four-handed. And the guy still said, like, yeah, I think it's going to be uh, Graham and, and Chan in the final two. He wasn't even getting enough r respect to when he was clearly the chip leader to be in, the, in the, even the final two. But, um, yeah, the, the last hand is, is just awesome. With Chan slow plays the, the nut straight. He had jack nine against queen seven. The flop comes queen ten eight. So, uh, but the hand kind of played itself. Chan was totally cocky about it, too. He was like, he's like yeah, I'm in a bit of a hole, but uh, give me, like, two hands and I'll be back to even, even though he's like massive uh, chip disadvantage going into the heads up. But yeah, uh, the hand played itself and, and Chan spikes his cards on the table when uh, when he when he knows that he won after Seidel knocks over all his chips as he's shoving. It was it was a great it was great to rewatch. I, I, I love uh, classic poker events and I, I never actually sat down and watched that World Series, but now I know uh, why they do in rounders so much. Nice. It's nice. Riveting. <laughs> yes that is awesome though all right uh have we heard anything is world series of poker gonna happen this year because of all this it'll be interesting to see what happens uh it's it sounds like it's gonna 
probably be at least delayed because I think it's supposed to start like late June or early July. So yeah, I don't think there's any way it starts then. Yeah, at least delayed. All right, uh, Zach, what did you watch? All right, well, I decided that one sport, one classic sports event was not enough. So I actually, I guess, cheated a little bit, and I watched uh, the. NFL primetime episode from week 17 of the 2005 season with uh, Boomer and TJ. And it was a pretty epic watch. Um, they were definitely going over some highlights that were, were pretty amazing. Um, they were talking about Deion Sanders' last game. By the way, trivia question, do you know which team Deion Sanders ended his career on? Ravens. That is correct. I, I had not remembered that at all. I barely um, remember that. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. And the Ravens were playing the Browns that week in a really meaningless game, but they spent a lot of time talking about how the Browns were on the up and up with Romeo Cornell as their head coach and a solid young quarterback by the name of Charlie Fry. I mean, that's just called desperation right there. That that was that was pretty <laughs> awesome to watch. Um, let's see, some other highlights. They uh, were also talking about how Jerome Bettis was playing his last game, and it was really funny because they were so sure that the Steelers were not going to win the Super Bowl that year, so they spent an unusual amount of time talking about, you know, the bus, his last game in Pittsburgh, maybe his last game ever, but you know, but you know, Tej, there's one game left, and it's in Detroit where Bettis is from, and that is the Super Bowl. Yeah, that was my impression of, of Berman. <laughs> It's not um, bad. It's not bad. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then, and then, but see, what, what's probably the most famous thing about this broadcast of NFL primetime um, is they talked in depth about Doug Flutie's dropkick extra point in the New England game. I mean, they were just going crazy over that. And the best part of that was they, they played um, a segment where someone, it wasn't Bill Belichick, uh, actually, it wasn't his voice. It was someone else reading something that Bill Belichick had said two or three years earlier about how it was Chris Berman's idea to have the dropkick extra point. So, yeah, it, the, the, the dropkick extra point is not Belichick's genius. It was all uh, Chris Berman. And, yeah, we're in the quarantine, so this is, like, the most entertaining, uh, you know, thing on TV. So, yeah, it, it, was, it was a great, you know, hour and, and ten-minute distraction. Very nice. A reminder of, of simpler times. Yes, yes. Beautiful. I like it. So I watched uh, this week. I've I've watched a lot of classic baseball because Thursday was supposed to be opening day, and so I I loved how like ESPN had on a triple header of classic opening day games on uh, on Thursday, and MLB Network did the same. I watched um, uh, the local net network out here had on the uh, opening day for the Seattle Mariners from two thousand one Ichiro's first game. Uh, so I watched some of that, but the the one that I watched that was like this is cool to go back and revisit was um there's actually two separate games from the 2017 world baseball classic uh which the united states won it was their first world baseball classic win and uh the the two games that i watched um were the quarterfinal match that was uh that was united states over the dominican republic in san diego which had the moment of the tournament, which was Adam Jones robbing Manny Machado of a home run, and it was like it was like perfect. It was a perfect jump, perfect catch, and there, there's all these fans behind him waving all these American flags. I mean, it looked like it was staged. It was beautiful. So that that was one. The uh, United States won that one six to three. Danny Duffy got the win. Luke Gregerson got the save. So there's there's some names for you. 
But uh, then there was the championship game where they beat Puerto Rico. Um, and, I mean, this Puerto Rico team was pretty stacked. And Marcus Stroman goes out there and throws six perfect innings to start the game. And uh, and as soon as he gets a hit off of him, he ends up getting uh, getting pulled. But uh, it was it was like dominating, like the most dominant performance, like you could say in of the year happened before the season started. And he ends up getting tournament MVP from it. They end up winning that game eight to nothing. Puerto Rico ends up only getting three hits on the on the night. Um, but yeah, uh, that that's what I watch. World Baseball Classic highlights. Uh, next one is supposed to be next spring, so. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward. I mean, think about the U.S. team. You, you're getting to have like Cody Bellinger and Mike Trout, and and uh, and all these guys playing on the same team. It's get, it's gonna be so cool, and it, it's such a cool environment and atmosphere. It's like World Cup of baseball. Cool. Yeah. It was it was pretty awesome. Okay. I I feel like we've completely buried the lead now. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some uh, Free State Copperhead, which is also what I was drinking on the last episode. Um, apparently, alcohol is not good to drink uh, during the coronavirus because it, it weakens your immunity. So I also have some cough drops that I'm going to mix. I'm going to do it as like a chaser with the beer. So we'll see how that goes. That'll be fun. Nice. Very nice. Todd, what do you got? Uh, I'm drinking whiskey with Arnold Palmer. So... Kind of gives it a little bit of a, a sweet flavor. It's, it's all right. So so a John Daly, isn't that what it, that's called? A spike. Well, I mean, that's Palmer. what you said last time when yeah. it was vodka, I, but oh I yeah, I, I've I made know. that joke before, Terry. It's not a. I actually I I remember go. I went to a bar once and and they they gave me a spike Arnold Palmer and they called it a John Daly. I was like, well, that makes perfect sense. Anyways, uh, I'm drinking, so before all the quarantine stuff hit, we like stockpiled on beer so that we had a whole bunch. So this was on clearance because it's an, it's a, uh, it's a winter, um, a winter beer, uh, Widmer Brothers out of Portland. Uh, it's their Snowplow Milk Stout. So a nice, dark, smooth, uh, nice, dark, smooth beer that we're, uh, that we're going with today. So Cheers. All right, so now that we got our sports talk out of the way, we got our beverages out of the way. Uh, Todd mentioned to me at one point as we were pre- uh, preparing for this podcast that this is probably going to be the most random podcast we've ever done because we are all over the place in this one as we're just finding stuff to talk about. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but we're going to get started with our movie review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. No, we didn't go to the movie theaters. No movie theaters are open. Nothing's coming out. There is some stuff on streaming. But what we decided to do is during this uh, quarantine time where it feels like Hollywood and the movies are all shut down, we're going to find some, uh, some movies that none of us have seen to review for you guys. Uh, they might be classic movies. They might be more modern movies. Um, and uh, we're going to watch them and we're going to review them. So between that and our and our deep dives, uh, this is... I mentioned it a couple podcasts ago, but this is what we're going to call the Almost Sideways Online Film Festival. 
So we're going to watch movies that are streaming somewhere that you guys can follow along and then you can join the conversation um, by listening to our podcast, by tweeting us, by sending us messages on Facebook, things like that. Um, so last week we reviewed and did a deep dive of Mr. Holland's Opus, celebrating its 25th anniversary. And and this is uh, this is our, our come to the stable moment, right? This is we found some random movie that none of us had really ever heard of, and decided to watch it. But it actually has a decent track record. We are celebrating the 80th anniversary of a 1940 film called The Long Voyage Home. And uh, let's see here. Who's going to talk about this one first? I think Todd's going to talk about this one first. It was his idea to watch this movie. So, Todd, tell us all about The Long Voyage Home. Oh, by the way, if you're wondering, if you want to watch this, it's streaming on TCM and on the Criterion channel and on Canopy, if you want to find it on any of those. However, I couldn't find it on Canopy. I don't know what's going on. So I think that kind of depends on what library system you're you're in. But... Uh, it is streaming in several different places if you want to find it and watch it. Uh, so, Todd, tell us about this this Best Picture nominee from uh, from 1940. Okay, it's uh, directed by John Ford, which is interesting because he had another Best Picture nominee that he won Best Director for that year called Grapes of Wrath, but this is definitely the lesser known of them and less heralded in that way. Uh, it is about the, a crew aboard the British SS Glencairn, which is going from the West Indies to Baltimore and then eventually to England. And it's kind of this motley crew of, of individuals. You got the half-wit named Olsen, played by John Wayne. You have the boss, Driscoll, played by Thomas Mitchell. This, like, suspiciously aloof character uh, named Smitty, played by Ian Hunter. And then you got Oscar winner Barry Fitzgerald in there, and then some others. Uh, they go through a bunch of trials and tribulations, sort of on their on their voyage, including uh, going through a war zone and like getting their boat or having to transport a bunch of explosives. And they had a went through a big storm, and they kind of pass time by getting like joyfully drunk throughout, and uh, even like uh, bringing women aboard to bring more booze and to just generally party with them. Uh, it doesn't feel like a best picture nominee. Uh, of that era it definitely doesn't feel like a 1940s movie either like it's kind of light but i mean there are some severe things that happen uh it's um there's like a song that's being hummed throughout like the first third of the movie that gives it a really light mood but that's really not the mood that it has for the, uh, the rest of uh the film uh thomas mitchell is really good in it he kind of got the best reviews in the movie and uh, every character sort of has their moments but it's so clear that john wayne is the best the uh, biggest star in the movie even when he's even in the background like, you could just, he's magnetic, and you just want to watch more of him, but he's just not the main character. Uh, it, it's like watching an early Sean Penn role or something, where it's just like, he, he should be the guy who's the, the focus of this movie, but he's not. Uh, the mood shifts towards uh, sort of more devastating things in the third act, and it kind of works. Uh, I, I, I feel like there's a lot of the lighthouse in here. I, I feel like Robert Eggers had to have drawn some inspiration from these, like, swashbuckling, dancing, vulgar guys in isolation working... Uh, I don't know. It, it's uh, I've seen all the best picture nominees from that year. Now I have it ranked at number seven. It's not it's not bad, but it, it's definitely not a great movie. It's uh, but I I did generally enjoy watching it. I give it three stars. All right, all right, Zach, what did you think of the Long Voyage Home? Yeah, so um, I echo a lot of Todd's sentiments. I would kind of say it's like a mixture of like 
Wages of Fear meets like Captain Ron or like Down Periscope. Because there's like this element of the movie where like Wages of Fear, they're transporting very precious and dangerous cargo. So they're always kind of at risk, even though actually that's really only the first two thirds of the movie. And there's definitely like a Captain Ron vibe where they're all just kind of getting drunk and partying. And like in the first couple minutes of the movie, they're inviting these like women from the West Indies on the boat and they get and 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 Smitty gets really mad at them because, you know, I'm not really sure why something about the charging for the liquor or something like that. Uh, Anyway, um, the movie, I don't know. Um, It's not I I didn't think it was particularly fun to watch. I found myself getting kind of bored. I was watching it on an illegal stream that every five minutes went to a commercial. Um, So I kind of like that, actually. It's sort of a good way of watching old movies because it prevents you from getting too bored, even if it adds like 25 minutes of running time. Um, This movie was... uh, The cinematographer of this movie was Greg Toland, and he did Citizen Kane. And um, you can kind of see a little bit of Citizen Kane. The cinematography, I think, is the best thing about this movie. Like, there's some really nice shots in this movie. Like, there's one shot where after uh, uh, Smitty goes off the boat and is reunited with his family, like, there's this really kind of long shot that has a really uh, wide depth of field, and you can kind of see that. A little bit of, like, Citizen Kane in there. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it a little much. Um, But some of the shadows and the kind of um, contrast of black and whites look really cool in this movie. So the cinematography, which was nominated for an Oscar, uh, was definitely, I, I thought, the best part. The worst part about this movie, I think clearly John Wayne. I mean, he is cast as a young, um, sort of naive Swedish man, and he pronounces ginger beer, yinger beer, and he talks about growing up on the farm with mama and papa, and it's so, so bad. Um, I mean, uh, it doesn't help that we know what John Wayne ultimately became, but I thought he was horribly miscast in this movie, and I thought Ward Bond and a few others were just a, a little over the top. This movie feels a little uncomfortably close to, like, Anchors Away and Mr. Roberts at times. Really, it's only Greg Tolan's, I think, cinematography that gives it any sort of like darkness literally um so i don't know uh it's it's a it's a that's a meddling movie that is pretty forgettable i give it two and a half stars all right so we've got a three star we've got a two and a half star i i am right like right on the border i'm probably going to land at a two and a half star review for this one so this movie was nominated for six oscars it was nominated for best picture best screenplay Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Special Effects, and Best Score. And uh, I agree, the cinematography was great. I thought also the the special effects for a 1940 movie and some of the stuff they were able to do, um, especially as they were being attacked, uh, I thought was really uh, was really good. I mean, it 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 worked. It worked for a, for a 1940s movie. Um, the first the first two thirds of this uh, this movie when they were on the boat it felt very very lived in and just it it, i really enjoyed watching the the escapades of these characters i thought the third half or the third act was horrible uh once they went on shore and that whole thing it was just it, it would you like from the moment it starts you go i know exactly where this is going and yet it takes forever to actually get there and it's like Zach said, the worst part of this movie is really John Wayne, and and his the fact that he can't have any sort of accent other than the Duke. Um, he they make him a Swedish guy and just tell him not to talk, 
And then the third act is like, well, we gotta talk. We we gotta do something with him. So we're gonna make him talk. And so he just he talks like John Wayne was in first grade or kindergarten, and like can't form complete sentences because he it's it's his second language. And everyone else in it is fine. Uh, a little over the top at times. Um, is there a movie in in this time that Thomas Mitchell wasn't in? Um, because he seems to be in like every decent movie of in like there a five year stretch there. But um, I love watching Thomas Mitchell. Um, I I agree with Todd in that just looking at it, you can tell John Wayne stands out, and he has the looks to be the leading guy. But he's in the background. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a John Wayne performance where he's a supporting guy, and that's definitely what he is here. But then when he has to be the lead, it doesn't work because he's not British and Irish, so they make him Swedish and just say talk normal and leave out every third word. Um, so yeah, the third act was horrible. Um, but the first two acts I thought were, were pretty good. Um, because of how bad the third act was, I'm gonna give it two and a half. Otherwise, I'd be giving it three stars. Well, I would, I would agree with a lot of what you said, Terry. Uh, except... Um... Well, for one thing, your John Wayne impression sounds uncomfortably close to your John Lovitz impression. And <laughs> I would also say that the special effects in this movie were terrible. I mean, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like the rear, are you talking about like the rear projection stuff or like the bullets fired into the, into the uh, uh, window and then the, the, the rainstorm? I thought those were terrible. I thought, I thought they worked. I thought they worked for what they had. And also, I actually have drunk ginger beer in the last week, and I do have to say it tastes terrible. Yin-yer it also beer? has a lot of sh- yinyer, excuse me, yinyer beer. And um, I would agree with with the characters in this movie that if you're gonna spike a drink, it's it's great to spike because whatever shit you're gonna put in it is gonna actually taste better than the beer. <laughs> uh, Todd, where are you at? I don't know. Ginger beer is pretty good. <laughs> oh, no, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, the, the the ending scenes. I, I I feel like I know what you mean, but it, I I don't. I, I feel like it kind of worked though. I, I mean, I do feel like I I I felt something for it, other than the fight scene, which was kind of hilariously over the top, and like how he ends up getting knocked out by someone like throwing a wrench at him. Like that that was really <laughs> random. But uh, I I don't know. I I did I did, I did kind of like the kind of like the last act that's why i i still give it three stars i, I thought that the middle parts i, I didn't i wasn't uh, particularly fond of the beginning and the end i liked i thought the best part of the movie was when we find out smitty's backstory as revealed through a letter that's read by the thomas mitchell character that itself could have like been the whole movie and what's interesting is if you read about this movie it's based on four like one act plays by eugene o'neill so it does feel a little disconnected at some parts like the last act doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the first two but i thought to me that was that was the most interesting part and um the part that was also probably the most degenerate because let's be honest one of the reasons we chose this chose this movie was with the synopsis being uh these guys just want to you know party and bring in all the booze and be uh self-loathing i mean that was enough to at least draw me into it (laughs) well and again you're saying the best part was thomas mitchell and how he was able to read that letter and yes and and he yeah he he's he's the best he he was the best if you needed if you needed a drunk there were only two options thomas mitchell or wc fields those were the only options in 1940 or like Walter Houston or 
Walter Brennan. Nah, see, now you're getting into... There's a difference between the drunk and the prospector. There's overlap, <laughs> but there's difference. Maybe Todd and Zach can count down their, their top five drunks of the 1940s uh, yes. an- another time. Oh. <laughs> That's, you're in dangerous territory here. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so this is, I mean, it, if you're, if you're not a fan of, of old classic movies, you're probably not going to be much of a fan of this, but, um, if you like them, it, it definitely was a, was a good, uh, a good movie. I'm looking here. Uh, it was named one of, uh, the National Board of Review top 10 films and Thomas Mitchell won best actor through the National Board of Review. Uh, he also was nominated for best actor from the New York film critics. So, um, so yeah, I mean, but it was the it, only Best Picture nominee that year without an acting nomination, which is odd. <laughs> there were ten that, nominees. Yeah, that is odd. That that it got Best Picture. Well, but it got screenplay, and at that point, screenplay was just uh, was just a one a one category thing. It wasn't uh, it wasn't adapted and uh, an original. So it was it was one of let me let's see here. Yeah, it was one of five that got that got screenplay with Philadelphia story, Kitty Foyle, Rebecca and grapes of wrath. So, yeah, but those, those, it was adapted screen. It just wasn't called adapted screenplay, but those were all adapted. Oh yeah. I see it now. There's an original story. Best writing, original story. Yeah. And there was also best original screenplay. There were actually three screenplay awards. Cause that makes sense. Then never mind. (laughs) You're You're wronger than you thought. Your your knowledge (laughs) overwhelms me. Um, <laughs> my knowledge of Wikipedia. Actually, Todd, Todd, can you point out what you were pointing out earlier? That, I mean, it, there were some strange categories at the 1940 Oscars. Like, some well, yeah, were, I, some categories. I was had, looking at, well, yeah, I was looking at Best Art Direction, Black and White had 13 nominees. Like th- that is, that had to be like majority of the movies that were that came out that year. Like I, I don't see how that's singling anything out and yet I, this I was not one of them <laughs> right yeah that's true I, I mean and they had two categories for it too because there was color and then there's the black and white one so there really are 17 movies nominated for best art direction and this was one of 10 nominated for black and white cinematography and six were nominated for color cinematography yeah 14 like... nominated for best special effects uh, well this is one of them anyways like I said you can find this movie all over uh, uh, several different streaming uh, streaming platforms or you can stream it illegally like Zach did um, <laughs> but uh, they yeah, have Long Voyage Home 80 years 80 years and I will say one thing that I thought was interesting is this is a young John Wayne like, like it is a it is a young, young, young John Wayne. This is just one year after he did Stagecoach, so definitely a, a different John Wayne than we're used to seeing, um, especially since he was kind of in the background there. All right. Uh, so before we move out of uh, out of our movie reviews, I do have a movie I need to uh, I need to mention here that I watched as my anniversary review. Um, they're a little harder to find now because I don't have the library to uh, to fall back on. Um, but I had some uh, I had some credits on uh, on Amazon Prime, so I was able to rent this one. And uh, my uh, my anniversary review is uh, for this uh, this week was Malena, a uh, 2000 movie um, directed and written by Giuseppe Tornatore, 
and it starred Monica Bellucci and, uh, oh, who was the other main character? Yeah, Giuseppe Sulfaro. And it was about a, a boy, uh, like 12, 13, 14 years old, who, um, who meets this woman who is like the town bombshell. And, uh becomes just infatuated. I mean, it's, it's his first like crush and, and how he ends up like obsessing over this girl. Um, and it, for the most part, it's, it's fairly innocent as this boy is, is, you know, learning about love and learning about lust. And, uh, at the same time, it takes place in Sicily during world war two. And so, um, through this, relationship with this woman he's never even spoken to before you hear you get to see the story of world war ii kind of play itself out um i watched it because it was nominated at the 2000 oscars for best cinematography and best score uh the score was done by uh ennio morricone um it was it was good i really enjoyed this one uh, let me see here what did i end up giving this movie i gotta remember here it's been a few days uh i gave it three and a half stars i really liked it um it uh it was um yeah it it, it seemed just kind of like this this sweet story where you see the story of these other characters played out through a boy's eyes and uh i always thought that was kind of an interesting way of uh of looking at things and doing things so um so yeah three and a half stars for melena um i i found it i rented it on uh on amazon prime uh was going to get it from the library but that's not an option at the moment so yeah have either of you seen uh, Milena? I know, Zach, you mentioned you've seen part of it. Yeah, like the first 30, 30 minutes a long time ago. I have not. Not too bad, not too bad. I mean, if for no other reason than you get to stare at Monica Bellucci in the 20 years ago uh, for two hours, it's, it's, it's worth a watch. But it's actually a good movie as well. Um, yeah. So... Uh, Zach, did you have any anniversary movies you watched this week? Uh, no, I didn't. But you should still watch Cinema Paradiso because that's Turnitori's masterpiece, and Turnitori is is sort of a Terry director. I mean, I think you would. I think you you've already established that you like his style, and uh, Milena is not considered his best film, and uh, therefore you should watch what is considered his best film. Well, yeah, Especially, Cinema Paradiso, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I'll I'll try to get to that one. The one I got next, we'll we'll see if I get to this one. I may have to put it off. The next one is another two thousand movie. It is The Taste of Others, which I don't even know what it was nominated for. Might have been the best foreign film, maybe. Yeah, this looks like a foreign film. Yeah, best foreign film out of France in two thousand. Uh, it's available on Criterion Channel, which I don't have, but I might get the the free trial just to just to watch this one. We'll see. All right, moving on into our spotlight segment. Spotlight. Uh, we're gonna be uh, like we said in the past. We we're celebrating the. Um, the decade that we just went through the 2010s throughout this year on our podcast and we're doing something a little different with our power rankings which you're going to see in a little bit so our mount rushmore this uh this podcast is dedicated to that decade and what we're looking at is 
the Mount Rushmore of breakout stars from the 2010s. And this isn't necessarily people that started acting in the 2010s, but it's people who became stars in the 2010s, that, that became those household names uh, over the last 10 years. So the way it works is each of us put forth uh, our nomination that is uh, that fills three of the four slots, and then we, uh, we have a discussion on who's going to take that fourth spot. So, Zach, I'm going to you first. Who is your nomination for Mount Rushmore Breakout Stars? Okay, my well, do, do I list both of them? or we're, Because we're splitting this actor-actress, right? Oh, right, we're doing two of them. I completely forgot about that. Yes, we're doing actor and actress. So give me, let's do actor first. Okay. Uh, my nominee is an actor who I haven't always loved, but the, the, the way that I sort of figured this out was, for, for me it had to be someone who basically was an unknown 10 years ago. If you had said their name to me, I wouldn't have recognized their name. But by the end of the decade, they had to be able to basically carry a major box office movie with them as the as the lead role so the first actually the first person i thought of was my male choice and that is chris pratt uh chris pratt did make a few movies prior to 2010 um he he played officer duda in jennifer's body and he played fletcher in bride wars some amazing credits wow but uh, but he really had a breakout um, decade due, in, I think, in large part to his breakout role on Parks and Rec, which my wife and I have been rewatching in the quarantine, one of about 20 shows we've been rewatching. He is by far the best part of Parks and Rec. Well, maybe not by far. Him and Aubrey Plaza are the two best parts of that show. But he's got just, I mean, you know, like John Wayne and whatever, The Long Voyage Home, you know, he's clearly the best. You know, he, he takes away all the attention from all the other actors. Um, and then he, you know, he did uh, Five Year Engagement, which he was hilarious in. I think he stunned people by getting into shape for Zero Dark Thirty. And then, of course, the role that honestly it led him to cinematic stardom, which was Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and uh, he's awesome. Not in that. Jurassic World? <laughs> well, Jurassic World, no, Jurassic World came after Guardians of the Galaxy. Didn't it? Are you sure? They were right around the same time, I think. Right around the same time. Guardians of the Galaxy is 2014, Jurassic World is 2015. So I, okay. I was right. But yeah, so Jurassic, Park, Jurassic World. And, you know, he hasn't always made great choices in his, uh, his filmography. You know, he was in Movie 43. But then again, so was, you know, everyone. Um, but and, and I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, Jurassic, the Jurassic World franchise has been great. The Magnificent Seven and that, that movie he did with, with Jennifer Lawrence was pretty terrible, too. But, you know, there's no question that now he can open a, a major $100 million box office movie just on, on his name alone. So I think he's pretty hilarious. I, I, in interviews, I think he's pretty funny. Um, so, yeah, he's my nominee. That's a good one. I mean, he is a guy who, um, I mean... He has this kind of niche right now that of being that leading man, but also being the funniest guy in the room too. Um, that is so rare that makes him desirable for pretty much any franchise role. Like he, everyone, everyone says you know he should be like the next Indiana Jones or something. And he basically, you could say he's like this generation's Harrison Ford in a lot of ways, and that he can. He can be the the leading man, but also have that charisma that can that can uh charm you as well 
See, I, I, I think the comparison is Tom Hanks because he comes from TV like Tom Hanks did. And he started with these sort of comic roles, but he's drifted into more serious territory. And uh, he's proven that he could both do comedies and action movies and dramas. But Tom Hanks was never able to do the action movies, though. Not like I that. guess that's true. Um, yeah, he, he's definitely unique, and it, and it's a good choice. All right, I'm going next. Uh, my my submission for uh, the break breakout actors. Uh, this this guy had only acted in one thing prior to the last decade, and it was a a one off character in an episode of a TV show no one has ever heard of before. Um, and then everything else has happened after that and now he's one of the biggest stars in all of Hollywood and that is Adam Driver. Um, he went from like I said he went from complete obscurity he had a couple really minor roles in some films like J. Edgar and Lincoln as he was working his way up. His big breakout was of course in the TV show Girls which I haven't seen any of, but that's what uh, a lot of people knew him from to start with. And then after that, he uh, he really started to pick up some steam with uh, things like Inside Lewin Davis. Um, and then he got Star Wars. And again, it, it was that that uh, that movie that put him on the map that became that made him a, ho- a household name. And I think anybody who watched the new trilogy of Star Wars could see that of the of the like new new crew he's probably the best actor uh, and gives the best performances in those movies and it led to other things like i haven't seen patterson but i've heard patterson's really good it led to his role in silence um meyerwitz stories logan lucky and then uh his first oscar nomination for black klansman in 2018 and then last year he just went crazy with uh, the report his Oscar-nominated role in *Marriage Story*, and then wrapping up, uh, wrapping up the *Star Wars* trilogy. Um, this year, he's supposed to have *The Last Duel*, but who knows if that actually gets done this year? Now with all the all the shutdown stuff. But uh, I, when I was thinking about this, he was one of the first uh, acting names for uh, male actor that I thought of that really had a breakout uh, decade. So Adam Driver is my submission. It's a great choice. I've I've been watching rewatching Girls too, and uh, he's the best part of Girls first three seasons at least. He's spectacular on that show. All right, Todd, where are you going? All right, I don't. Know, I'm not a huge fan of your guys' picks. Like Chris Pratt, I knew who he was in 2008 when he was in Wanted, and I don't know Adam Driver. I mean, he's a good actor, but I wouldn't say it's really. A, no, I wouldn't necessarily say breakout of the whole decade, but I don't know. Either way. I went with somebody who uh, I think has taken the title belt of being the best supporting character actor in the world, and that's Lakeith Stanfield. Like his first role of any kind was in Short Term Twelve, which he just like burst off the screen in that, and now he's in basically every movie, and he's always probably the best part of it, whether it's Uncut Gems or it's Knives Out or even the stuff that he does like War Machine, he's in Get Out, he was in Selma, Dope, Straight Outta Compton, like everything he does, he's just like the best supporting actor in it, and uh, he didn't even start acting until 2013. That, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good one too. He, he's kind of become, I feel like for casual movie fans, he's become that face that's like, oh yeah, that guy, where you may not know his name, but you definitely know him because, like you said, he's in everything. 
And he's only really had one leading role, which was Sorry to Bother You, which is as oddball of a first leading role as you can have. But <laughs> now he's, I mean, he, he's becoming more familiar to us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so we've got Chris Pratt, we've got Adam Driver, we've got Lakeith Stanfield. All right, we need a fourth one. What are we saying? Who are we throwing out there? Oscar Isaac. That's the one I was thinking, too. I was thinking uh, Oscar Isaac, uh, Chris Hemsworth, maybe. I mean, he he really got on the map in 2011 with Thor. I mean, it, it's really uh, it's hard what about to Miles Teller. Yeah, Miles Teller too, but he's kind of fallen off the map a little bit too. I mean, he's gonna jump back on with whenever Top Gun comes out, but uh, but yeah, it, it's it's uh it's kind of hard to just not go with the. Oh, this guy got this franchise as an up-and-coming actor and became the household name. It's kind of hard to not do that. Because uh, another one I was thinking of was, like, Tom Holland has become a, 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 a big star. And I think maybe this decade will be even bigger for him simply because of how young he is. But, um, yeah, it's Oscar Isaac's a great choice. What do you think, Zach? Um, yeah, he's all right. I can't think of that many things he's done the last few years, though. I was maybe going to go Besides with Star Wars. Like- Besides Star Wars, I guess. Um, like Aaron Paul. Um, or... Um, well, uh, well, Breaking Bad started in, what, like, 06 or something? Like 08, I, I think. Well, yeah, okay. Well, either way. He was he was already winning Emmys before this decade, so I'm not really sure that was his breakout. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on how rigorous you are in applying the, you know, it has the, the cutoff date at 2010. Um, I mean... Yeah, I, I guess I don't really have any issue with Oscar Isaac. I, I love Oscar Isaac. I just think that, you know, his his apex was kind of in the earlier part of the decade, not so much the the later part of the decade. No one really knew who he was until Inside Lewin Davis. And then all of a sudden he was in a lot of stuff. And he did... He should have had an Oscar nomination for Most Violent Year. Um, he could have had one for Ex Machina. Um, and then he got Star Wars. He was Apocalypse and X-Men Apocalypse. Um, he was in Annihilation. I mean, he's been in some... He It's funny, he does, like, smaller things, and then he does... He's got the big, huge franchises, too. Um, I think he, he's he's good to, to throw in there simply because he's... His face is known for being in Star Wars, yet, as Todd's mentioned before, it's easy to throw him in, as, in the handful of, like, best working actors right now, too, because he can do pretty much anything. And and so he'll do, he'll do Star Wars. Then he'll do well, Operation Finale, which isn't that like the I just saw it on his list. Isn't that the movie where uh, they're hunting Nazis, with uh yeah with Ben Kingsley, and uh, Melanie uh, Melanie Laurent? Yeah. So and he so he does like the big box office film, and then he'll do the small the small time film, like really small time film. Um. Which you can only do if you're a big star. Anyways, I'm going with him. I, I, I like that choice. So so we have consensus, Oscar Isaac? Yep. Okay. Sounds good to me. So uh, so our, our Mount Rushmore of uh, breakout actors from the 2010s, we've got Chris Pratt, we've got Adam Driver, Lakeith Stanfield, and Oscar Isaac. Now let's go to actresses. Zach. Who is your uh, submission for breakout actress of the 2010s? Okay, well, again, I, I applied the same standard. It had to be someone who was a virtual unknown, 
in 2010 and looking at her resume, I would say she was an unknown, at least in this country. Um, and by the end of the de decade, she's had several Oscar nominations and just recently opened up a film that we reviewed not too long ago on this podcast, and that is Margot Robbie. Um, Margot Robbie was in the TV series Pan Am in the early part of the decade, but I don't think that's really where you'd remember her from. Um, her, I guess we could say her breakout role really was as Naomi, the Bay, the Bay Ridge princess in uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and from there, it, her career basically just shot up. Uh, she was kind of uh, a big star right away. She was in uh, the, the uh, Focus and uh, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Then she's even launched an even bigger career with her role as Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad, a unsuccessful movie that she was so good in that she was able to uh, spur a sequel to it. Along the way, she's had Oscar nominations for I, Tanya, and most recently, for Bombshell. So I think um, she is a, a, a major star. I think, uh, and, and, and part of this, part of my ch choice is intentional because there's a great clip on YouTube of uh, Chris Pratt filling in for Jimmy Kimmel interviewing Margot Robbie. And so I thought these two actors are the two breakout stars of the decade. It's a great choice. That is an awesome choice. That, that, that's like the definition of a breakout star. Uh, all right, I'm going to go next. Um, when I was thinking about breakout stars of the decade, this was honestly the first person I thought of, male or female, and that's Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, she kind of defined what a breakout star is and what she did this decade. Um, she gets her first Oscar nomination in 2010 with Winner's Bone, um, a movie that very few people saw, but she was amazing in. And then from there, everything just took off at a, just an astronomical pace, where... Um, Within the next year, she's got X-Men. She's got Hunger Games. In 2012, she wins an Oscar for Silver Linings Playbook. Uh, then she gets another Oscar nomination the next year for American Hustle. Uh, she continues with the movie franchises and finishes out those, uh, you know, X-Men and, and Hunger Games to the point that, I mean, Dark Phoenix last year, it was like she didn't even want to be in because it was so bad. Uh, she gets another Oscar nomination for Joy. She had, So that's what? four Oscar nominations in the decade when she had barely even been in a movie before that and um, is you know starting her starring in her own movies uh, she's still doing some small time stuff and uh, some art house stuff like Mother uh, she is and she's because she did franchises like Hunger Games and X-Men everyone in the world knows who Jennifer Lawrence is and nobody in the world knew who she was at the start of the decade so uh, she is, as much as Margot Robbie is the definition of what a breakout star is, so is Jennifer Lawrence. So that's who I'm going with. Yeah, there's hard, hard, not hard to argue with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of took the layup there. So Todd, have fun. <laughs> All right. Well, my pick. Is, I have a couple that I want to that I was thinking about, but I, I guess I'm going to go with Jessica Chastain. Because before 2010, she only had two movies, and I've never heard of them. And But then in 2011, it was like she had a year like um, that like Edward Norton had in like 96. She had five movies come out, and uh, three of which were big movies. Take Shelter, The Tree of Life, and The Help. And and then after that, she just sort of like skyrocketed. She was on everyone's list to be her, your leading lady. She was in Zero Dark Thirty. I mean, she had um, a, a Most Violent Year. Uh, she was in Interstellar, and she had Molly's Game, which uh, I know we all love. And uh, the the last couple of years, she's really just been like doing like making money. She was in the 
It Chapter 2, and she was in the, the terrible X-Men movie. But uh, so I, I anticipate the the next couple of years she'll have like a, a really big couple of years in with a critically acclaimed work again, but because uh, she's one of the most reliable actresses out there. Outside of like Lakeith Stanfield, everyone we've mentioned so far has been in a comic book movie or a Star Wars movie this decade. Have you noticed that? <laughs> well, it's pretty much all of Hollywood. And it's it's well that's how that's how you break out and and they've been doing a really good job of finding those those up and comers to make big time stars, which is how one thing it, that you could say is a good thing about all the uh, all the comic book stuff. Go ahead, Zach. I'm sorry. How, how disappointing is it that Jennifer Lawrence and Jessica Chastain's movie together was the worst movie of last year? I mean that <laughs> that should maybe disqualify both of them possibly, but. But it, it, I mean, like I said, though it, it was like it was. It, she had to. Be, Jennifer Lawrence had to be in that movie. Like it, it was, it was gonna be the last one, um, and they couldn't kill her off soon enough. <laughs> I feel like she Jennifer Lawrence was, in. was was in some stuff prior to 2010. It, uh, according to IMDb, she was in the Bill Engvall show, and she was in the Burning Plane. And by no means were those big roles, but you know. Compared to someone like Margot Robbie, who literally did nothing prior to, to 2010, it's, it's, it's true. debatable. It's true. People may have known her face, but she, the, the fact that she took, you know, a small time, a small time movie like Winter's Bone, and turned that into X Men and Hunger Games with, and an Oscar win within two years of that. I mean that that's unheard of. So. Okay, so we've got we've got Margot Robbie, we got Jennifer Lawrence, we got Jessica Chastain. Uh, so Todd, I, I wrote down four one. names. Yeah, yeah, I wrote down four names, and three of them have uh, are on our Mount Rushmore. <laughs> so this one's the going one... a lot better than the boys, right? <laughs> yeah. The, the the other one I had uh, was Rooney Mara because I mean her breakout was really the Social Network, and then yeah, she's had a really varied, really interesting career the last ten years. Yeah, she's had you know Girl with Dragon Tattoo and Side Effects and Carol. Um, I don't know if she's necessarily like the household face and name, but that's not a bad one. The other one I had written down that we haven't said yet is uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, after she takes her her uh, first movie role and turns it into an Oscar win, and then ends up in a uh, in the Star Wars trilogy, but not necessarily. I mean, you don't know her face because she's just the voice of Maz. Um, but then she's also, she's been in the uh, Voice in the Jungle book, she had Queen of Cotway, and then the big ones were Black Panther and Us. And I think all of us agree that, I mean, she should have, she really could have been uh, nominated for an Oscar last year for Us also. So that was the other one I had. Yeah, I I also, I had Brie Larson. Um, oh, that's I mean, a good one she's too. Kind of, she kind of came out of nowhere, won an Oscar, and has been in a lot of consistently good movies both uh low budget indie movies as well as big budget movies and um what big yeah. budget movie are you talking about uh, <laughs> the Marvel's movie that, that i gave thumbs up to that you did not but that's okay yeah she's one that kind of made that transition from being a, a child star into being a a full-fledged uh movie star um yeah 
And I think what's also good about Brie Larson is she doesn't have necessarily have to be the lead. She's been good in some supporting roles, like last year in Just Mercy. She was not the star of that movie, mm-hmm. but she was really good in it. And uh, I thought she was pretty good in uh, Kong Skull Island, and even smaller roles like Shipwreck and or excuse me, Shipwreck, uh, Trainwreck, and uh, Don John. So, I, you know, I think I would nominate her as the fourth. It, it, she's one that um, after a while I went back and was like, oh man. She's she's Scott Pilgrim's ex in Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which I didn't even realize until, I mean, because she was just another face until I found out who she was when she started doing more stuff. Um, yeah, that's another really good one. I think we got three really good uh, really good choices here. I would I I hadn't thought about Brie Larson. I think I think Brie Larson is is the more traditional choice there, uh, out of the three we've put forth. Todd, what are you thinking? I don't think she's a very good actress, but I so I don't really think I could say that. <laughs> because you don't think she's a good actress that disqualifies her from being, being considered a breakout, a breakout star. star. <laughs> I didn't realize. I'm not I, sure. I, I didn't realize. Well, I don't this, see this a, was Is Mount she Rushmore, really a bankable Todd, star? Todd preferred actors. If if she makes a movie, are people gonna go see it because she's in it? I really doubt it. They saw Captain Marvel because it's got the word Marvel in it. And I think now that she's been in Captain Marvel, they might go see it because she's in it. That's as a good point, those, though. As opposed to all those people that went to see the Lakeith Stanfield movies because he was in it? I, well, he's a supporting actor. I, I even said that. I, I think the, I think Todd makes a good point, though. I mean, we're, we're, talking, we're talking movie stars with the women. I think we've got a much harder choice with the women than we do with the guys. And, uh, and so, I mean, if you're looking at it for who's going to... Are, are people going to go out and see, oh, that's the new Brie Larson movie, or the new Rooney Mara movie, or the new Lupita Nyong'o movie? I don't, honestly, I don't know if any of them necessarily live up to that standard. Maybe Lupita Nyong'o would be the best case, case in the, of the three in that, if we're that, talking in that regard. That's what I was thinking, too. Um, yeah. All right, Lupita Nyong'o it is. Going Lupita Nyong'o. I mean, the one thing you can say about her is she, I mean, like I said, she didn't act until, I mean, she had a couple, I was looking at her IMDb page here, and she had, uh, she was in three shorts and a TV show that probably wasn't American before she won an Oscar in 2013. So, I mean, that that's about as breakout as you get right there. So, Lupita Nyong'o? Go with that one? Sure. And let's be honest, that, that was a, at least a top five Oscar moment this decade, her winning. I mean, that was a great yeah. moment. Yeah. Great speech. All right. So, Mount Rushmore of breakout actresses. We've got, uh, oh, who, who do we got? Oh, yeah. Margot Robbie, Jennifer Lawrence, Jessica Chastain, and Lupita Nyong'o. All right. That was a lot of fun. That, uh, that sparked some good, uh, some good discussion there. All right, moving into our power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. And like I said, we're doing something a little different. Uh, usually this is where we celebrate the decade that was. But instead, we are celebrating the situation we are all in. It is a very topical uh, uh, topic we have today for our countdown. Uh, Zach... You're the one that picked it, so tell us what we're doing. 
Okay, we are doing the top five people, top five movie or TV uh, characters who do you, who you would want to be stuck in a quarantine with for twelve to eighteen months, uh, and this excludes uh, comic book characters. Okay, no comic book characters. Yeah. So they would be just the two of you in a quarantine, or are you talking like all five of these people? All, would be... all five. All five. That's the way I approached it. Oh, that's not the way I approached it. Okay. Well, I, I was thinking of it as just the two. But, you know, okay. I guess we all took it in different ways. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. All right. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this off. This was kind of fun, but also really hard to come up with. Um, I, we're going to have a whole lot of fun trying to pick what, what direction Adam took this in a little bit. Uh, <coughs> but uh, my number five, uh, this may be slightly... Uh, slightly biased on the fact that I've been watching this since I've been quarantined, but uh, my number five is Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones, uh, played by Peter Dinklage. Uh, I think it's a great choice of someone I want to be quarantined with because he is always the smartest person in the room, whether he is or not. He sure thinks he is. And uh, he drinks and he knows things. And that's someone I want to be stuck in a room with for a year. And Because uh, that, that would just be fun. It would just be fun. So, my number five is Tyrion Lannister. I thought you were going with Band of Brothers. You know, I thought about that too. Like, go with, like, George Laws or something like that. But, uh, no, no. Tyrion Lannister is my number five. All right, Todd, number five. Uh, my number five is Harvey Specter from the TV show Suits. Because he pretty much is, like, the coolest guy around. Like, he has, really has a way with words and supposedly has seen every movie. Uh, and he just... I bet he would have an infinite amount of, like, stories about the shady deals and, like, how he screwed the system and all his high-profile clients. He's got a ton of awesome sports memorabilia and uh, famous friends, and uh, he, he definitely would need to be around. I've never watched that show. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> That's Great pick. Uh, all right. Zach, number five. All right, well, I mean, I, I'm i astonished at both those picks because, like, you were in the middle of a freaking quarantine for 12 to 18 months, and you know what? I, I, I think there are plenty of people you can just hang out with and have fun with, but, like, this is a quarantine, okay? This is not just some situation where you're, like, hanging out with your bud. You need someone with expertise in crisis management, okay? And the first area that you think of in crisis management like we have right now in this country is medical. So I had to go with a doctor. I had to go with someone who had the wealth of medical knowledge. And the person that I have, and you know, this is, I guess this is apropos of Todd's pick because neither of you are gonna understand it, you uncultured swines, is uh, uh, Christina Yang played by Sandra Oh on the TV series Grey's Anatomy because <laughs> she, is the best doctor on that show in terms of being under pressure. Think about the episode with the ferry boat crash, with the shooter, with the with the uh, with the, the the collision with all the bicyclists, the guy who grows into a tree, um, the couple that gets stuck on the sex toy. I mean, she is there for all of those exploits, and uh, yeah, uh, she's amazing. And um, I would want her operating on me because you know Christina Yang, badass, out of Stanford, you know, cardiothoracic specialist. Her relationship with Dr. Burke was doomed from the beginning, so I think she would be focused on uh, medical treatment, number one. So that is def- That's definitely a, a, an interesting way of, uh, of taking this. 
I, I like how all of us have picked our number five as like someone off of something we may have just watched a whole bunch of. <laughs> Quite possibly. No, I mean I haven't watched Suits has been over for a couple of years, but I we watched shows that the other two have not seen a single episode of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, is that, no, Zach's seen Game of Thrones. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Oh, all right. Number four on my list. Um, again, I'm looking at it of who who will I be able to to bear spending all this time with and and be able to to make it out with my sanity on the other end. And so I thought about like the the guy who I would have you know it, it would just be like the coolest hangout session for the 12 to 18 months I may be stuck in this situation with. And so I went with. Uh, Sidney Fife, played by Jason Siegel in I Love You, Man. Uh, now, this guy is the guy that you want to be hanging out with. I mean, you, you'd hang out, you'd watch Chocolate with Johnny Depp. Uh, then you would you would go and, and make some fish tacos that are the tits. Um, and then uh, then you would just hang out in his garage and um, and jam to some Rush. I mean... Slap it a bass. Slap it a bass. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, this is the guy. This is like the hangout guy. That if you if you are gonna have to spend a whole bunch of time with nothing to do for a, an extended period of time, I want a guy like this in the room with me. So number four, Sydney Fife. I love you, man. That's a Terry pick. It totally yeah. is. And I'm it's good a with Terry that. Bull pick. <laughs> oh, oh. See what I did there? I see what you did there. I see what you did. All right, Todd, number four. My number four is Pauly Cicero from Goodfellas, and uh, mainly because like he was in prison and he turned it into like half luxury like living. He he really knows how to slice a you know an onion or a, a garlic clove, you know. So I mean his food looked amazing. Like you need a chef in a well while you're quarantined and yeah, and you know that no one's ever gonna mess with your house when you got a mob boss living there. I mean he he's like the unsung hero of that movie and uh definitely would have to be the muscle that you would need in your quarantine. That's a better pick. He would take issue with drug use though, as we all know. Not not a fan of cocaine. That's true. Alright, Zach, number four. Yeah, I, well, since Terry's list is just movie characters I'd want to hang out with, um, I should specify <laughs> that this is a quarantine, okay? This is an emergency situation, so hanging out with, you know, Jason Siegel, okay, fine, but you're not going to live very long. So, I took sure it a similar I will. direction. I'll, I'll, uh, okay. I'll maintain my, my mental stability. Sure, sure. <laughs> Was he doing that movie? Isn't he like a real estate agent? Because that, that's really coming, that really comes in handy in the quarantine. No, he's a, he's a, he's a... Uh, oh, he doesn't have a he's job, He's an investor. Right? He, he's an investor. That's right. Yeah, it's Paul Rudd who's the real estate agent. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. It okay, so like farts. That's right. That's one of the few scenes I remember from that movie. Um, so I went a similar direction to Todd. I already have Christina Yang as my doctor. Now I need someone who can prepare food long term, uh, but who won't be annoying and who won't eat all the food, which is, I think, another pro problem with, with Polly Cicero. Um, so that's I right. went with Adam Sandler... Adam Sandler's role of John Klasky in the movie Spanglish um, because he's a five-star chef 
And he also is really wealthy. So my thinking is that we could probably just shack up in his Southern California like mansion while he does all the cooking. And you know, it's Adam Sandler, but it's like not like super Adam Sandlery. It's not like the Water Boy or even Uncut Gems. He's like sort of a bit of a watered down, almost milk toast Adam Sandler. So he's just kind of chill and he'll go along with, with the flow. You know, he's, he's kind of devastated already because his wife cheated on him in that movie. Um, and he's a great chef. So if we're talking like chill people that can also actually be productive in the middle of this crisis, uh, look no further than, than John Klasky in Spanglish. Plus, he can speak a little bit of Spanish. Yeah, that'll nice. help in a quarantine. <laughs> All right. All right, so it's really funny. Number three on my list is my chef because, you know, you've got to have someone that can cook if you're going to be quarantined. Exactly. exactly. So, and I was thinking the same thing. you got to have someone who's like an amazing chef, like five-star chef, but isn't going to be eating that much of it either. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I found the perfect example of that, and that is Remy from Ratatouille. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean... He's a rat. He's not going to eat much of anything, but he can cook like nobody's business. So, I mean, if I, I wouldn't he'll mind being trash. Well, yeah, he'll exactly. He'll, he'll, exactly. Eat he'll eat the trash. He'll eat the trash. No, he stays clean enough to make five star, five star restaurant type type cuisine here. So I, I would I would be plenty fine being quarantined with a rat if it meant that he was going to cook for me. So uh, number three on my list is Remy from Ratatouille. I don't even know where to begin with that picture. <laughs> so you have Tyrion Lannister. Who's just going to be the drinking buddy, yeah. So you have yeah. two people that are not going to take up a lot of space. Yeah. And a rat, a rat <laughs> chef. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Todd, uh, number three. Wow. <laughs> my number three, I went with my dream girl, which is Janet Papali from Invincible. Because, you know, she knows more about sports than probably any female in the world. And uh, the conversation would never dissipate. She's played by my movie wife. And I, I, I want to know that character. And I would have 18 months to woo her. <laughs> Now we're talking. Now we're talking. Well done, Todd. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Zach, number three. Yeah, I kind of want a similar direction. You need you need some feasts for the eyes as well as the stomach. Um, I, I went with, you know, I have the chef there, but I also now need someone who can specialize in drinks because we're going to need a lot of drinks. We know that, right? So I went with um, someone who specializes in mixing drinks and also operates a club and that is the character of adriana la curva from the sopranos played by Andrea de mateo and i mean we're talking like someone who looks good and can mix the drinks can mix the music and you know she's got that that really chill new jersey vibe and um she she might be she might have been killed by Silvio in season in season five, but you know that's okay. She can magically come back to life. I mean, if Terry has an animated rat, I can probably have someone who died. Um, you know, she she'd be awesome. She'd make it a party environment. She we she'd be pass the time really well. I do not want season three Adriana who's freaked out that the FBI is gonna get her. I want well, like season one and two Adriana who's like really chill and relaxed and not too drugged out yet. 
I thought you were going with gonna go with your your favorite strip club DJ from uh, the movie <laughs> I watched last time. Oh yeah, Exotica. <laughs> no, he'd be annoying to hang out with. <laughs> Eric, Eric the DJ. No, thank you. All right, I'll pass. Okay, number two on my list. Since you guys hate it so much, I'm gonna keep going. My number two on my list is is a character who has the perfect attitude. I think you need for uh, for a crisis and and needing to work through through this by just by just sitting at home and and doing nothing. And that is the dude from the Big Lebowski, the Big Lebowski. Um, I, I mean, he he just. He just wants he just wants to roll man and uh, and have his rug that ties the room together, and um, obviously what you're about not when a the golfer. Wrap peas on his carpet. Well, well, I mean, I mean, you know, I don't know. You kill it's, the rat. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe I don't know. Anyways, he he's he's like the most chill guy in the world. No, I mean, if if that happened, he'd be like, that's just like your opinion, man. Um, he'd always have a beverage ready. Um, he, he's got the perfect, the perfect mentality of being able to make it through something like this, where, where there's a crisis and all you really have to do is stay home and do nothing. He's the best one to do that. So the dude, he's my number two. All right. That, that is finally your, that's your first good pick, Terry. <laughs> I would get sick of him. <laughs> What's he going to do if he can't go to the bowling alley, though? That would be a problem for the dude. Uh, or if he can't go buy milk at 3 in the morning for his white, white Russians. That's a good point. I don't know. You he need just, a lot of milk. You just you, complain you about it. Yeah. He would have some good white Russians, though. You would, yeah. Exactly. That, that would be an advantage, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Todd, number two. Okay, my number two is I, I need someone to, you know, be able to tell stories. And I feel like there's anyone that could tell stories better than Hattori Hanzo. Because <laughs> I feel like hearing about his old glory days of being a samurai would be awesome. Plus, I probably would have enough time to learn how to make a samurai sword, which I probably would be useful if it turns into the purge or something. And uh, sushi is probably a necessary food to have during a, during a quarantine. And, of course, the warm sake. Uh, yeah, Hattori Hanzo. He, he's he's in my quarantine. Nice. But his sushi would not be very good. It hasn't gotten any better. It may have. Well, it will have a long time to perfect it. Uh, all right, Zach, number two. All right. So my number two, I sort of had an evolution on. Originally, I was going to go with Rob, played by uh, John Cusack in High Fidelity, because we need someone who can be cynical and, you know, talk about top five records and top five movies and be very John Cusacky. But then I thought I would fill that role, so I don't want two of me. And then I thought about in um, High Fidelity how entertaining uh, Barry is in that movie, played by Jack Black. So I thought of going with Barry, but then I'm just going to, I decided to go with a different Jack Black character. I'm going to go with Dewey Finn from The School of Rock, because Dewey Finn actually could write music. He's probably not going to get out of bed. He's not going to want to leave the house at all. So there's no danger of like him having an idle mind because he's just going to sleep in all day. But when he wakes up, he's going to have a lot of entertaining uh, stories to tell and, and songs to make, like the math song. I mean, if he, if he can come up with musical genius like that on the spot, think of all the songs he could come up with during the quarantine. You would eat all your food, though. True. 
True, but but he, you know, again, this is this is a character who needs to distract us from the from the reality going on around us. So it, it would be worth it. <laughs> He'd probably die first, though. Uh, all right. Not not bad, not bad, not bad. It, it, it's kind of similar to me just wanting to jam out with uh, Sydney Fife. Um, so, kind of a similar yeah. feel there. All right, number one. Uh, my number one. I wanted to go with someone who uh, has has been um, has been uh, tested and has proven that he is able to withstand solitude and and loneliness and quarantine without uh without losing his mind too much um he he's done this before he's come out the other side he's been able to handle it my number one is astronaut fred randall from the 1997 movie rocket man played by harland williams uh, <laughs> i mean he is he he was so he he's on he ends up on a mission to mars because he's proven that the, his his superior brain is not just his only quality, but he's actually going to be a decent astronaut. And then he um, he accidentally does not end up in the hypersleep and ends up awake for nine months all by himself in the in the spaceship by himself. And he's able to pass the time just fine, finding things to do. I mean, sure, the spaceship at one point turns into a jungle, and he's uh, and he's you know hiding from the savages, but. He finds a way to pass the time. He is a proven survivor of quarantine and solitude, and it would never be boring, even though his his immense flatulence might might bother uh, might bother things a little bit. But that's what I'm going with. Number one is Fred 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 Fred, Fred Rand Randall. I'll take the rocket. Yes. That's a beautiful pick. <laughs> He would put on sock puppet plays for you too. He would. He would. And uh, and uh, yeah, do uh, do impressions of uh, the cowardly lion and uh, all sorts of different things. All right. This is terrible. This is this is a that, uh, Oh, I was proud of that one. That one's the best one so far of anybody. You gotta admit it. <laughs> Okay, my number one, the first thing I thought of, like, when I'm going to be stuck somewhere for a while, if I'm basically imprisoned or whatever, who would be my entertainment? And the first thing I thought of was Griff Hawkins from Boy Meets World, because he made detention awesome. Like, you've obviously never done detention with Griff. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Robert Goulet. Like, if he can turn, he can smuggle entertainment into Feeney's detention, then how much fun are we going to have in 12 to 18 months? He's the one, number one character I want to hang out with. Uh, he made an entire wrestling match at midnight in the school gym. Like he, he was so cool that Corey named an award after him in Girl Meets World, the totally cool Griff Hawkins Award. He, he was the, the first person I thought of, and I could not come up with anyone better. That That's amazing. I just Classic. had to look up which one exactly was Griff Hawkins. It's he, Adam Scott. It's Adam Scott, yeah. <laughs> He brought Robert Goulet into detention somehow. That's that is amazing. I didn't catch that that reference to him in in Girl Meets World. I'll have to go back and 
and check that out. All right, Zach. I forget who he gives it to. I think he gives it to Maya. Oh, probably. All right, Zach, you're number one. All right, well, I'm glad you both took this list so seriously. Dude, uh, I picked go- an astronaut. <laughs> I mean, how much better are you going to need to be, a, be in isolation and solitude than having an astronaut by your side? Seriously. That's assuming that you're going to survive, though. You can't just assume that. We're in the middle of a, of a worldwide pandemic right now. Um, that, that influenced my number one pick. You know, I had to go with someone who was going to keep me secure and safe in part because they're more of a hypochondriac phobic than I am, which is saying something. So I had to go with the one and only Howard Hughes, played by Leonardo DiCaprio in The Aviator, because, listen, okay, we're going to stockpile the soap. We're going to stockpile the, the hand, hand cloths that we're going to throw away after we use. We're not going to touch any doorknobs. We're going to sequester our urine in Coca-Cola bottles for as long as we need to while watching classic movies like The Outlaw featuring Jane Mansfield's Brazier. okay? We're going to go up in airplanes. I mean, if Howard Hughes was able to fly in the middle of a quarantine, you know, be, and, and keep himself uh, immune from the germs and from the diseases, you know, we could probably survive the quarantine um, and, and go different places. You know, he's loaded He's got all that money from oil rackets and, and, uh, you know, he's got this vast network of people that we don't really have to talk to because he doesn't actually want to see them. Uh, I, I'm amazed that, uh, you know, you didn't pick him. I mean, he's, he's, he's the obvious number one person you'd want to be stuck in a quarantine with. Show me the blueprints. When you were prepping that, I thought you were going to say Nicolas Cage's character from Matchstick Men. Yeah, but, uh, you know... There, there, there's a fine line between crazy and phobic, or both. I think these lists have a a very distinct like personality, <laughs> like <laughs> it, 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 it's definitely a reflection of of, of our personality. So. Uh... I had someone covering all the different categories I needed. I, I thought mine was pretty good. Except none of us know who your number one character is. No, I do. I do. I, it was, it was I, inside, I, inside reference, you had to be a deep fan of... You have to be a, a fan of Boy Meets World and Suits to understand your list. I don't think there's a lot of overlap. Well, you, you had Grey's Anatomy. That's true. All right. I'm pretty sure more people watch Boy Meets World than Grey's Anatomy. Let, let's get into some... Uh, let's get into some... Uh, I'm pretty some sure Alexander Payne here. has watched more Grey's Anatomy than Boy Meets World. That could be. All right, so my my honorable mention, I have um, I have another uh, Jason Siegel character. I have Peter Breder from uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um, he's gonna he's gonna keep everyone entertained with his uh, with his uh, um, Dracula puppet musical. Um, I have I have my doctor in uh, in uh, Hawkeye Pierce from Mash. Not only is he a medical professional, but he'd be a good one to just be hanging out with. Uh, I have, um, if you want someone, when I heard you talking about, uh, someone who is very resourceful and, uh, and going to be able to handle the stress of being in a crisis, I thought you were going to say Dwight Schrute from the office. He's on my honorable mention. That's a good one. That's a good pick. Yeah. Um, and then, um, another one that's going to keep you entertained throughout all this time through all of his BS is Barney Stinson from How I Met Your Mother. And of course, you got to keep yourself. Uh, you got to keep yourself fit. You got to keep yourself uh, well trained, and uh, and have your workouts ready for you. So I'm going with Chad Feldheimer, played by Brad Pitt in Burn After Reading. 
Nice. That's my honorable mentions. Okay, my honorable mentions are characters I some I want to hang out with, like Wooderson. I think that's an easy choice, and Ferris Bueller, um, and Skinny Pete and Badger. Like uh, that'd be a very interesting uh, extended period of time. Then you need someone to, who knows how to locate a thing or two from time to time. So I have Red from the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I have uh, the Band Aids from Almost Famous, and of course, Freb because he can order pizzas like nobody's business. Oh, that's perfect. Oh man. That's almost as good as Fred Randall. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right, Zach, what are your honorable mentions? Well, I, I decided to go dishonorable mentions because there's really no one else I'd want to be <laughs> with except for my top five. So I want people I would never want to hang out with in, in the midst of a quarantine. So I said Woody Allen, especially if there's any girl under the age of 12 in the room. Oh, dude, said, you had to go there. I had to go there. I, I said Maria Von Trapp. That would get very old very quickly. I said multiple Mig- Migs from Silence of the Lambs. I said uh, Debbie Downer, played by Rachel Dratch from Saturday Night Live, because, again, I'm the Debbie Downer. We don't need two of us. Uh, I said the Grumlin guys from Apollo 13, and we don't need bat- more disinformation out there. Um, I said Melissa Leo from the 2010 Academy Awards, because, really, I, I'm, we don't need to hear it. We just get off the stage, okay? And then the last one, I said James McAvoy from Split, but only the, the characters of Dennis, Patricia, and Barry, and not the Beast. Very nice, very nice. Picking which which parts of the schizophrenic you are able to hang out with is uh, is uh, an an impressive feat there. Yes. Okay. Now it's time to try and do the impossible and pick which direction Adam went with his list. Uh, Todd, before we do that, uh, what is our score currently? I have 17, Zach has 11, and Terry has 12. All right, Zach's catching me. I got. I better do well here. Okay, my list here, I've got uh, number five, Jessica Rabbit. Uh, number four, Wally. I think he's going to clean up all the mess. Uh, number three, I have Red from the Shawshank Redemption, you know. Uh, number two, I have Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Uh, and number one, Joey Tribbiani from Friends. I like dirty. <laughs> All right. My number five for Adam, I have Han Solo. Number four, Woody and Buzz. Number three, Joe Bluth. Number two, The Dude. And number one, Moses from the Ten Commandments. <laughs> uh, nothing like a direct voice to God as your, uh, as your companion during the quarantine. <laughs> All right, Zach, what do you got? Number five, I had Todd from the Almost Sideways podcast. Number four, I have Roy from Matchstick Men. Number three, I also have Wally. Number two, Marge Gunderson from Fargo. And number one, uh, Todd Stole My Thunder. I also have Moses from The Ten Commandments. <laughs> wow. All right. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Here is Adam's list. He said, I had I tried to have each pick be someone who would make the time fly by and be entertaining. Uh, so that's what that's kind of what he was going with. So honorable mentions, he's got Mike Peters from Swingers, because he's so money. Uh, Luke and Kate from Drinking Buddies, both fun spirits, and we could make our own beer. Uh, Stan Lee from Mallrats. It's partially by... It partially bypasses the no superhero rule 
think about the stories this guy has. Um, Holden McNeil from Chasing Amy, Chasing Amy, learning to become a comic book artist would be a lot of fun. And the genie from Aladdin. I would at least have three wishes to make the time more enjoyable. <clears throat> so, number five, Jay and Silent Bob. You know it's going to be a fun time when we would be flying high. Uh, number four is Rod Williams from Get Out. I would be laughing all the time with this guy. Plus side as well might be a might become a certified TSA badass after. <laughs> Num- I like that one. Yeah, number three is Cliff Booth from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Another one that would just be a cool guy to hang out with. We could break down film together with some brewskis. Uh, number two is Carl Casper from Chef. This pick is just because I want to be eating good if I'm stuck in quarantine. I love how all of us picked a chef to be on our list. It's great. And number one is Jules Winfield from Pulp Fiction. Listening to this guy's stories would be a treat. Learning to shoot and quote scripture would also be a plus. Then he also has people I wouldn't want to be quarantined with. Haley Stark from Card Candy, King Joffrey, and Lorena Bobbitt. The hard candy pick was good. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> All right. So what, what do we got here? I mean. I think Adam wins. <laughs> I, I, I had a, a Brad Pitt character on his list. That's about the closest we had to having anything. And, and I had two animated characters and he had an animated character in his honorable mention. I had two animated characters. You did? Woody and Buzz. Oh, yeah, Woody and Buzz. Yeah, that's true. And they were Disney characters. Well, I had one Disney character. So so who who, who gets it here, Zach? I think I you're t- out, but... No, Adam gets it. Adam wins? I we, think Adam wins. We weren't wins. close. We can't he, give him the point. We can't give him the Why point. Why not? Maybe, Why not? Maybe, come up with the power rankings for next time. He, the, 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 the Ellen Page and Hard Candy, that was the best one I heard. And Jay and Silent Bob... I, w- I would put them on my list. That, that's okay. And, and, and Rod from Get Out, he killed it on this list. He destroyed us. That was a great list. I, I say Todd and I each get a half a point, but Adam gets to pick the next power ranking. Done. Okay. Okay. Because I had Brad Pitt, and and Todd had Todd had a uh, Woody and Buzz, and he had the genie. So I think those are those are close enough. Let's do it. Sure. Done. Done. Half a point each for Todd and I. Adam, you get to pick our next Power Rankings topic. Um, That'll be coming up in a couple weeks. Okay. Now to... This might be my favorite part. It's it's time for trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Void is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. But before we get to trivia, we have to talk about the movies that uh, we were forced to watch. And uh, Todd won last time, so Zach and I both had uh, had the task of watching a movie Todd assigned to us. Zach, you're first. Tell us about what you had to watch. So I watched uh, All About Nina, which was on Todd's list. It was your 2019 list, right, Todd, of, of the year's best movies? Uh, 2018. Okay. Okay, well, whatever. It, yeah, it's a 2018 release. For some reason, I thought you mentioned it on, on our top 10 of 19, 2019 podcast, but maybe I'm mistaken. Um, 
So I know Todd is a really big fan of this movie. We're both a big fan of the lead actress in it, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, she plays a stand-up comedian named Nina. Um, she's sort of an up-and-coming stand-up comedian who gets a big, big break um, and moves to Los Angeles and try and basically is auditioning for this sort of Saturday Night Live-esque uh, show. Along the way, she meets a character named Rafe, who's played by uh, Common. And they sort of have a relationship, and then um, she's a you know she's really this kind of off-putting sort of crass comic, and you know we sense that her her comedy is a defense mechanism against men who've hit on her and people who've disappointed her in life. And then in about the three-fourths part of the movie, a pretty shocking revelation is revealed about her character, which explains why she is the the way she is, or at least it, it tries to. Um, and the movie takes a pretty serious turn after that because it's a pretty serious uh, sort of uh, ad ad admission that she makes. Um, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is, is really good in this movie I mean she's been good in, in every movie basically she's ever been in um, it's a really different kind of role for her it's like it couldn't be further away from like Ramona Flowers um, or her character in The Spectacular Now uh, it's, it's nice to see her back again um, she would actually be a good I think uh, nominee for breakout actress from this decade um, unfortunately I didn't really share my love for this movie the way that Todd did. I felt it was kind of meandering at times. I also feel like it was a very 2010s movie in the sense that it's about someone who is, uh, they're, they're, tr they're trying to get somewhere in this big kind of recognition and then something goes viral. They have like a viral moment. And I feel like that is like uh, sort of lazy on the filmmaker's part. I, I've seen that way too many times in movies where this up and comer gets a viral moment that makes them famous and then everything goes haywire after that. Um, so I wish the filmmaker had had uh, more creativity in, in, in addressing that. Um, there's some good parts to this movie. The stand-up parts are pretty good. P moving away from the stand-up parts aren't quite as interesting. I felt like the relationship with Common, again, I've seen that in movies before. There wasn't anything particularly new or radical about that. I think the movie's trying to be very edgy in a very 2018 way, um, but to me it just kind of came across as maybe a little bit more desperate, and in a way, I, I found it kind of similar to the criticism I had about Ben Affleck's character in The Way Back, which is that why do you need such an extreme set of circumstances in this character's backstory to explain that the way she is. I wish the movie hadn't been so, uh, I guess, gratuitous or so um, overdramatic uh, in, in that sense. Um, so I give it a, 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 two, a two and a half stars. I know Todd's a bigger fan of this movie than I am. I can, I, I can even understand and appreciate why he liked the movie better than I did. I just, it, it just wasn't really for me. Yeah, I remember when I watched that movie, I, I think I texted you that, like, I, I don't know, I just got, like ruined by a movie and i don't even know why and i i still like i i would need to watch it again to really to maybe i can understand it because yeah it was a it was one of those things where it just it hit me really hard and i don't know why and i mentioned it on our, it was my directorial debuts list so is why i mentioned it recently oh okay all right all right well uh todd gave me a choice of a couple different movies i could watch and uh it was a choice uh, from a few different movies I hadn't seen off his funniest movies of the decade list. And I went with the one that I had uh, been most looking forward to see, just hadn't gotten a chance to see it yet, and that was 2018's Game Night, uh, starring Jason Bateman, Rachel McAdams, Kyle Chandler, and a host of others. This movie is hilarious. It's so much fun. Uh, it's about this, uh, you know, this group that does couples game night and um jason bateman's brother played by kyle chandler decides to take it to the next level and it goes completely out of control um 
the the chemistry between Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams is pretty awesome. Kyle Chandler being a part of this is completely hilarious too. Um, I agree. Jesse Plemons is is perfect in his role. Like I think we've said, I think Todd, I think you mentioned like this is like the highest war performance of the decade, and I might agree with you. Like no one else could have played that role quite like Jesse Plemons did. The most Jesse Plemons role of all time. Um, and then, and then you've got, you've got the surprise at the end when Michael C. Hall pops up. Um, the only thing that would have made it better is if he would have been like Dexter in that moment. But, uh, it, it, it's, it's just great. It's so much fun. Uh, and I, the, one of the most impressive parts, Lamorne Morris has a dang good Denzel Washington impression. I was, that is, that was impressive, but no, I love this movie. It was so much fun. Three stars. Great movie, good laughs. I mean, just just ridiculous, completely. Um, exactly what you want from a comedy, just to get some good laughs in. I'm glad you agree. Yeah, yeah. And now that I've seen it, it might have ended up on my. Uh, if I had seen it then, it might have ended up on my uh, on my funniest movies list. I'd wanted to see it. I just hadn't gotten to it yet. And totally, from the get-go, I was like, dude, that's not Denzel. That's not Denzel. <laughs> uh, all right. So those are movies we had to watch. Okay, I had to watch one, too. For some reason, Zach gave me a movie to watch in one, one trivia. <laughs> we had so nothing else had to, to do, watch, so. Yeah, I had to watch the 2015 Myra Slobs, Slobish Pitch movie the tribe uh i'm, I'm not gonna try, try to pronounce the main characters uh the main actor's name i'm sure he's, it'll go uh, better deaf... than the director's name <laughs> okay well it's a deaf kid played by hiro hori fasenko and he goes to a boarding school but all the students are like criminals and prostitutes they're just like general anarchists it's basically like if he joined the gang in a clockwork orange uh, the movie has no dialogue or subtitles. It is completely in Ukrainian sign language, which is a little jarring at first, but you kind of can get wrapped up in the story and uh, the weird stuff they do. There's, like, really graphic, unsimulated sex scenes and, like, random-ass fights. Uh, that's actually kind of where the, the, the problem is in the movie, is that if it wanted to be a silent movie, then it should have been a silent movie because the sound is awful. Like, the, the sound effects are exaggerated. The... Uh, uh, the, like and and like the, they'll be in like fights and their arms will just be like swinging around like it's like a 1920s fight and uh, but there's like you can hardly hear the impact but you can for sure hear like the out, the wind outside it's it's a really really lazy job at trying to make this movie work but uh, it it, it kind of reminds me if like if like Yorgos Lanthimos made like short bus this is what the movie would look like but it tries to be like an experimental Larry Clark type movie and I don't really know that it really works it's a ambitious movie but I don't really think it's a good movie it's a two and a half star movie and i'm not really sure why zach said it was a todd movie but i don't know if yorgos lanthimos had tried to make short bus that that's beautiful <laughs> as you were trying to pronounce the uh the director's name i was reminded of office space as when you were uh i'm a i'm a I'm not gonna be working here anymore <laughs> samir naga, naga. yeah <laughs> Uh, all right, good times. Okay, so Todd, you are hosting trivia here uh, between Zach and yeah. I. Tell us what uh, what's going on. 
I have two categories. Uh, we're just going to go back and forth, I think. Uh, the first category is the Best Picture nominees of the 2010s by the lowest Metacritic score. So, <laughs> under 70, there are nine movies that were nominated for Best Picture uh, in the 2010s. And I think I'm going to start with Terry. So, wait, say, say that one more time. It's... Best Picture nominees of the 2010s by the lowest Metacritic score. Okay, and and we're, we have nine of them? Yeah, nine had a 70 or, or a below a 70. Yeah. Nine had below a 70. Okay, I'm going to start with Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. That was the lowest rated movie. It had a 46. Okay, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody had a 49. That was the second lowest. <laughs> uh, we're pretty good at this. Um, gosh. Uh, let's see here. There's so many options here. Um, uh, the blind side... The blind side is not correct. Uh, was that even the right year? Zach. That was 09, wasn't it? Yeah. Dang it. I'll turn around now. Zach, can, uh, can you uh, add any more? Uh, the post? The post is not correct either. Hold on. Let me so, look, uh, let me look, let me look. Wolf of Wall Street? Wolf of Wall Street is not correct. Wow. Ford v. Ferrari? That no, is not correct either. That had a really high score, good actually. Reviews, yeah. Lion. Uh, so, that is uh, there. Yeah, okay, that was just had a sixty-nine. That just barely made it. Uh, so going see. from the bottom up, we had Jojo Rabbit at a fifty-eight, really? Joker at a fifty-nine, Vice at a sixty-one, The Help no. at a sixty-two, Les Miserables at a sixty-three, and Green Book <laughs> with a sixty-nine. Wow. Okay. Okay, and we will be using the same group of movies, uh, the Best Picture nominees of the 2010s by the highest score on IMDb. So we are looking at the 17 movies that had an 8.1 or higher, as of a couple days ago. And we will start this one with Zach. Uh, Moonlight? Moonlight is not correct. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> Wait, hold on. That, how is that right? How does that not have? Yeah, no, that is not. That does not have an eight point one or higher. <laughs> well, then I, you know, I'm out. All right. Go for it, Terry. Well, we'll see ridiculous. if Terry can get one. I'm gonna go Twelve Years a Slave. Twelve Years a Slave has an eight point one, so and how, Terry wins. How about uh, Mad Max Fury Road? That also has an eight point one. Uh, let's see here. What else am I gonna go with? I'm gonna go with. Uh, Joker. <laughs> Joker has an 8.5. That's amazing. <laughs> the lowest Metacritic score, but up there in that. That's that's awesome. Uh, Parasite. Parasite is an 8.6. How many are we looking at here? 17 total. There's 17 you have total. Four. Um. The Revenant. Uh, that's not one of them. Uh. So, uh, we other ones we had uh, Hacksaw Ridge, Spotlight, uh, Ford v. Ferrari, 
Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, Room, The Help, Green Book, Three Billboards Outside of Missouri, The Wolf of Wall Street, 1917, Django Unchained, Whiplash, and the highest one with an 8.8 is Inception. Oh, that makes sense. So that's like, a wins. Top, that's like a top 10 IMDb movie right now, isn't it? Or close yeah, to I it. Yeah, I think so. Well, 8.8, it would have to be. Yeah. Terry wins 5-1. to one. So, I guess we can all pick whatever we're going to watch. <laughs> or Terry can pick. I'll pick one. something. I'll pick something. It'll be easier for me to pick something for Zach than it will be for Todd, but I'll find something. All right. So, uh, let's wrap this thing up with our quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Uh, I'm going to go first. Um, originally, I was going to uh, I was going to quote something, uh, the last line from uh, the book Forrest Gump, which I just finished this week. Uh, I've had this book for a long time. Todd, didn't you give me Forrest Gump? I believe so. I think you did, yeah. Anyways, I just finished it. Um, completely different than the than the movie. Like, they, they deserve their best adapted screenplay win because of how much they had to adapt because the movie is far superior to the book. Like, in the book, he ends up, like, an astronaut and then uh, ends up, like, enslaved in, like, Papua New Guinea where he learns to play chess and then when he gets back to the States he becomes a chess master and he also ends up uh, in a movie with Raquel Welch. Um, and, uh, I mean, it, it's just kind of ridiculous. But, uh, anyways, that's what I was going to quote. But instead, I have to quote Fred Randall from Rocketman because I have to. Um, so, uh, the, I, I couldn't decide between two different quotes, so I'm going to quote both of them. Um, the first one, he's talking to Commander Overbeck. He says, hey, Commander, were you ever afraid of monsters under your bed? When I was little, I used to think there was a baker under my bed. I mean, that's a kind of a thrilling conversation I would get with Fred Randall if he was in, in, my, uh, in, in my quarantine with me. And then the last one, something goes wrong on the spaceship, and he's trying to describe it to the, to the, uh, the people down at, at Mission Control. And he says, it reminds me of a French-Canadian tennis racket stuck to the back of a Venus snow goon bubbling out of my sister's Brazilian monkey. I don't think I can make myself any clearer. <laughs> so, I mean, how do you not? How do you not love that? Plus, he drove his uh, his competition insane by singing John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt for 24 hours straight. So, uh, yeah. This popcorn kernel's been stuck in my molar for the last two weeks. <laughs> Where are the airbags on the spaceship? We don't have any airbags. What if I go flying through the windshield? You want there's no windshield. What if I go flying through the front of my helmet? I'll die happy. <laughs> that was a good one, Commander. Aye, aye, aye. Uh, Fred Randall. Fred Randall. Alright. Maybe make Zach watch that. <laughs> I might make Zach watch Rocket Man. Alright, Todd, what's your quote? Uh, I have a couple quotes from Harvey Specter in Suits, first of which uh, applies to our podcast, because he says, you win a no-win situation by rewriting the rules. And I feel like we do that every time in power rankings. We make our own rules. <laughs> but the other one is just good rule to live by. He says, have you ever loved somebody so much that you would do anything for them? Yeah, 
Well, make that someone yourself and do whatever you want. Yeah, I like that quote. It's a good one. It's a good one. All right, Zach, what's your quote? Finish this off. All right. All right, my quote comes from Nicolas Cage as Roy in Matchstick Men, which probably should have been my number one choice. Maybe he's a more charming hypochondriac than Howard Hughes. And uh, the quote is, Look, Doc, I spent last Tuesday watching fibers on my carpet. And the whole time I was watching my carpet, I was worrying that I, I might vomit. And the whole time I was thinking, I'm a grown man. I should know what goes in my, in my, on my head. And the more I thought about it, well, the more I realized that I should just blow my brains out and end it all. But then I thought, well, if I'm going to get, if I, if I thought more about blowing my brains out, I would I start worrying about what, the, what that was going to do to my goddamn carpet. Okay, so that was a good day, Doc. And I just want you to give me some pills and let me get on with my life. And, uh... That's the way I feel about life. Just give me the pills and let me go on with my life. Just going to blow my brains out. <laughs> uh, Even if they are, what, menstrual? No, wait, what, what kind of pills were they? Menstrual supplements? I don't remember. Uh, yeah. I can't remember, yeah. Estrogen or whatever, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for listening uh, to our wonderful ramblings. Uh, we will be back uh, soon with another podcast, doing a deep dive of another movie. Uh, until then, have fun watching movies, and we will catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.